Today's reading is Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come up upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on those slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My name's Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace, and it's such a gift to be with all of you. And this morning, as a way to help us imagine and to celebrate what God has done in Easter. Um, Pastor Jason Mather from King's Church and I were going to be looking at a prophetic vision from the book of Ezekiel, an incredibly visceral image of what it means that resurrection happens. So I want to give you some context for this passage that we heard read by Ramona. Ramona, thank you for that reading, by the way. Um, the, pa- the context of this passage is, is it takes place in Israel's exile. Now around the 5th, 6th century BCE, Israel was taken 
into Babylonian captivity. And they were exiled from their land. Now to get the weight of what this means, it means their entire identity as a people, everything that gave their life meaning was destroyed. They were deported. Their temple, which where the very presence of God resided, was gone. So where is God? Their identity, their sense of self, everything they knew to be true about who they were is no more. Their future is gone. And so this is the the context of this passage. This is what happens, or this is where it takes place, in which God, by his spirit, takes Ezekiel, and he, he puts him in this valley of bones, and it becomes this image. And while he's in this valley, God actually walks Ezekiel around this valley before him, around him, behind him, dry bones, as far as the eye can see. Now, we're not told in these first few verses of this text what these bones refer to, but I don't think Ezekiel needed to be told what they referred to, because bones in the Old Testament imagination actually referred to the very core, to the very essence of a person or of a community. And there they were, scattered. You read some psalms, and in some of the psalms it says, Our bones cry out to you, O God. It's the very depths of a person here, scattered, as far as the eye can see for Ezekiel. All he sees is death and hopelessness. This is a valley of death. This is a valley where everything that Ezekiel knew to be true is scattered. And then something really interesting happens. God, in verse 3, he asks a question of Ezekiel. And he says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? Isn't that interesting that God is the one who asks Ezekiel that question? Can these bones live? Now imagine, or I think this helps me at least, imagine the context or the weight of what is actually happening in Easter morning. You have the disciples. You have the the, the people who followed Jesus, who gave their whole lives, their whole destinies, all that they knew to be true, into the person of Jesus. He made sense of their very world. And then on Friday, he was crucified, and then he was put into a tomb. All that they knew to be true was gone. The very presence of God was removed. Like that of Ezekiel, looking upon him, or looking upon this valley of these dry bones. And so God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? In essence, God is asking Ezekiel, is there hope? Is there a future? And isn't that the question that's before us all the time? That's the question before us on Easter morning, and that's the question that Easter, together as we celebrate the risen Christ, seeks to answer, is there hope? Is there a future? And I wonder if some of you come into this, to this place this morning, and this is a question that you've been living with for so long. Is there hope? Perhaps some of you are living in a valley 
where it just seems to be filled with dry bones, a valley of death. Perhaps you recently or over the last season of life, you've, you've been touched or consumed by the sting of death. Somebody you love, somebody you, who's close to you has died and they are gone. A husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a sister, or a brother, or a friend. You've been touched and consumed by the sting of death, and you can't help but ask, is there hope? Can these bones live? Perhaps you're in a season where it just seems as if the valley is so consuming. There is no, there is no future for you. What the life that you've been living, where you find yourself, is what you've been doing over and over and over again. And it feels like there will be no different future for you. It will just continue to happen the way that it has happened. Can these bones live? Is there hope? If you looked at your phone or the news this morning, then you know our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka are, of course, asking this same question. We ask this same question on their behalf. And may we pray for them and continue to pray for them as they hurt and they grieve. We come to Easter in a world that sometimes is, it looks as if there are only dry bones before us. And so this question that God asks of Ezekiel is the question that we together are asking and that Jesus himself has answered. Is there hope? Is there a future? And as God asks Ezekiel this question, the only thing he can do is turn to God and say, Lord God, only you know. You know. God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? He has no power within himself to make these bones live. He has no power within himself to make a future possible. All he can do is look to God and say, you know. Well, on Easter morning, that is what we do together, is look to God to say, God, you know. Is there hope? Is there a future? God you know. As we sit in this tension of Easter, as we sit in our lives and in our world that sometimes feels like dry bones, the place to look for hope is in the living God. And to sit in that this morning, I'd like to invite Michelle up to come and lead us in an intercessory prayer. The next uh, Marvel's Avengers movie, Endgame, is coming out next week, and it's predicted to make a gazillion dollars. Uh, It continues the story from last year's global box office hit, Infinity War. Now, I realize not everyone in the room has seen Infinity War, but y'all, it's your fault. It's been a year. I'm about to ruin the ending. At the end of Infinity War, everybody dies. (laughs) Not everybody. 
not everybody, only half of everybody dies. And I, along with all of the other comic book nerds who were sitting in the theater, sat stunned at the end of the film because we had just watched our heroes like Spider-Man, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, simply turn to dust. There weren't bones left like Ezekiel's vision because our heroes' bodies simply dissolved. And my son was confused along with me at the end of the film, but that confusion soon turned to confident hope as he turned to me with a smile on his face and he said, they'll be back, right, Dad? (laughs) Spider-Man has to come back. He has a new movie coming out this summer. (laughs) (laughs) And he's right. I'm not sure how, but I'm fairly confident these heroes will come back because there's more money to be made. (laughs) But when it comes to real life, real suffering, a real valley of death, we can't rely on a Hollywood ending. So where does our hope come from? Hope is a universal need. We all have as human beings what differentiates us is where our hope comes from. Now, sometimes Christians will mock atheists with the claim that they have no hope, but that's not true. As one atheist put it in his blog, I do have hope in tangible things like human ingenuity and the power to shape our own destinies rather than being helpless to the whims of an invisible hand. Hope in humanity That even when times are dark, good people working hard and sticking together can overcome them. And I don't believe for a moment that they need the help of a supreme being to do it. To be honest, an atheist hope isn't much different than the hope of many religions and religious people around the world. People of all types of faith. And, as we just heard, people of no faith. We all have hope, religious, secular. It's what is your hope in? Some have their hope in our ability uh, to advance in our technology, in our education, in our legislative policies. We ground our hope in the belief that if we simply see our need of each other, if we just figure out how to get along We can work together to fix the problems that plague our world. But friends, I would argue that our problems are deeply seated in the human heart. In the bombings in Sri Lanka and the death we just have seen and read about in the news and and even the 20th anniversary of Columbine in Colorado, these are reminders of this. Hoping in humanity, I would argue, is a lost cause. And I would point to thousands of years of history to make my case. 
We have hope, friends, but a very different hope from the world's hope. Our hope is not in the human spirit. Our hope is not in our determination and perseverance. Our hope is not found within our own hearts. This is where Christianity is unique. This is what separates us from the hope offered in our culture. This vision that Ezekiel sees, these dry, lifeless bones on this valley floor, they represent humanity in our present and future condition without God. For those of you who are here today, perhaps you're persuaded by this idea that God doesn't exist, that all there is is the material world. Well, this vision of dry of a dry, lifeless valley, my friend, that is your destiny. In a world that will burn up in the end and no one and nothing will live on. And maybe you believe that's a heroic belief to face the meaninglessness of life head on and realize this is all there is. That may be the story you've chosen to embrace, but I'm here to offer a different story. I'm here to offer a different vision, a vision that Ezekiel saw that I believe is much more compelling, a story with a different ending, a story that ends with life. In verse 11 of our story, Ezekiel heard these words from God about these bones coming back together. And in this passage, the people say to God, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, indeed we are cut off. That is the key phrase there. We are cut off, indeed. Cut off is relational language, friends. It's language meaning cut off from your relationship with God. And if we are cut off from God, ultimately we are lifeless. We don't have true life within us. And did you notice how God brings these bones back together as you heard that story read? He could have instantly formed these bodies in an instant. But He doesn't. It's fascinating. The bones slowly come back together. Sinew forms, muscles forms, skin forms, bodies. It's covered with skin. And Ezekiel sees that these restored bodies have no breath in them. I think that symbolizes and represents life independent of God. Life independent of the Spirit of God within us. And it teaches us God is the source of our life. And it brings to mind the story in Genesis 2. If you're familiar with the creation story, at the very beginning of the Bible, God creating Adam. God forms Adam from the dust. And we're told that God breathed life into Adam, into his nostrils, and the man became a living creature God forms Adam, but he only truly lives until the breath of life from God enters him. And the same is true in this vision from Ezekiel. God restores these dead bodies, but they don't live until God breathes life into them. In verse 10, we're told the breath came into them. They lived and stood on their feet. An exceedingly great army. 
So what does this teach us? Life is only found in relationship with God. He is the source of true life. You can have everything this world offers, but not have life. Not have true life. Not lasting life because you're living independent of God. You're seeking your life in all the wrong places. Until the life of God is breathed into you, you won't experience life in all its fullness. And some of you here today, you know that's true. You've started to realize this, maybe for the first time. You have everything you could want. The perfect job, perfect spouse, the right number of kids or maybe no kids. And you've traveled the world. You've seen amazing places and experienced amazing things. And you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking to yourself, what now? Is this all there is? And you've noticed something lacking. You look within yourself and you notice this dry, parched, spiritual valley in your very soul. And you don't know why. You don't know why. David Brooks wrote an op-ed piece in the New York Times this week entitled, Five Lies We, Our Culture Tells Us. And his argument is that our current state and our society is a mess because we, we've created a culture based on lies. And the first lie that he lists is that career sex, uh, success is fulfilling. He says we tell our kids that if you make it in your career, then all's good. You've accomplished the most important thing. The second lie, he says, is that I can make myself happy. He says this is the lie of self-sufficiency. And he goes on listing several others. All of them are grounded in this idea of individual independence. Life on our own. We don't need anyone else. And we fall for this lie because we have an instinctual desire to live life apart from God. To find our hope and our joy cut off from Him. But eventually you wake up one day and you realize that you're in this valley of dry bones. And what you thought would give you life has left you empty. Now, not everyone comes to this realization, but some of you here today have. You see it. Billy Donovan is the head coach of the NBA's Oklahoma City Thunder. He's the former head coach of the Florida Gators. And he won two national championships at Florida in 2006 and 2007. And he recently said that those championships ultimately left him feeling fulfilled, elated, empty. What? I mean, that's what every coach dreams of, right? Coaches sacrifice everything to win. They sacrifice their marriages. They sacrifice their kids. They sacrifice their health. All take a backseat to winning championships. But Billy Donovan got two rings, and this is what he said. He said, after that experience was over, I was depressed. It doesn't change your life one bit. Other than someone may write next to your name, national championship coach, two-time. Outside of that, it does not 
change your life. Billy gets it. Do you? Our message is simple this morning. Put your hope in God. Your life may feel like a valley of dry bones. You're longing for revival, for restoration. You want God to breathe life into you, into your your surrounding circumstances. And perhaps that feels overwhelming for you. It feels like a burden. Your faith is weak. Maybe you're anxious this morning. Maybe you wonder if you have enough faith. And let me let you in on this secret in this vision. Notice what this vision reveals to us. The key to our hope is to stop hoping in your ability to hope. <laughs> it's not about your ability to hope. That's not where the good news of this vision is. Notice God's determination. Notice God's confidence in this vision. When He says at the very end, God says, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. I will bring you into the land of Israel. I will put your, my spirit within you and you shall live. I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. God's confidence is astounding. God in this vision is looking at the desolation. He's looking at the death and He stares it down and He proclaims what He will do. And it reminds me of Jesus standing before Lazarus' grave, the tomb. And we're told in that story that Jesus was deeply moved and that language speaks of His anger, His passion, His determination. Jesus is facing death down and Jesus speaks into it. And He says, Lazarus, Come out! And this dead man comes to life. What did Lazarus contribute? Only a wretched smell. He was dead. And it was Jesus Christ who spoke life into him. And it is Jesus Christ who can speak life into you. You may be hopeless... Your faith may be weak, but it is our King, Jesus, who will do it. He will do it. And I'm with you. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're, you're struggling because you are in that valley, I wrote on my card, I long to see God breathe life into my heart. I have been in a state for the past several months where I've recognize the dry spiritual landscape in my heart. I can't sit still long enough for God to breathe life into me. He's, I don't know, I feel like He's trying and I'm just, I'm like a toddler. I'm just, no, 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 no. I'm too busy. Too anxious. I wrote on here, breathe life into my marriage. My relationship with my wife. Breathe life into my relationship with my friends. I've been longing for deeper friendships and other family members who we haven't been able to, to see in many years. I'm longing for it too. And I love Pastor and author John Ortberg's words. 
It speaks to our waiting. We're waiting for God to move, to act. Waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. And so this Easter we wait and we hope. And let's celebrate as we hear God's words. I will do it. And have confidence in that. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you. This Easter morning, as we celebrate your resurrection, and we find our story in this vision of dry bones, in this valley, and yet, Jesus, as I imagine each of us there, I see you standing with us. And I see you leading us out. Hand in hand. And may that vision, that image, capture our hearts this morning as we pray in your name. Amen.